Welcome to Hardcore Football, an intense look at the world's game by two passionate Americans. I'm your host, Phil Baki, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Mika Burrell. Mika, how you doing? Doing well, man. Um, <laughs> like I texted you before the show, I came home and found that none of the electrical sockets in my kitchen were working, so that was just like, really? <laughs> a, a I was true... like, I'm going to go... A true bruh moment. A, a bruh moment for the ages. Like, and, I, and on the way home, I was like, don't stop anywhere. Like, you have, you know, whatever meal stuff that I've ordered. Like, healthy stuff. Don't stop. Like, you got dinner at home. And my kitchen was like, bitch, you thought. <laughs> <laughs> so besides that, I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Uh, you know, just staving off, staving off the existential crisis. Um but aside mm-hmm. from that, you know, um, yeah, it's been it's been a weird is I don't know it's been a weird week uh, just with with everything going on and and obviously our our thoughts are just totally with the those impacted in Ukraine um, and uh, by the the war um, we talked today about our little slice of like trying to do a little something um and so for those who have been on twitter you may have seen um the the great uh mike pendleton at fat seven deuce on twitter uh jenned us up and turned around quickly a uh a ukrainian flag version of the of the hardcore football logo that we are producing stickers of um and so if you jump into our dms uh at hxc football on twitter uh you can claim yours um we're asking for just two dollars uh per sticker because uh a hundred percent of the proceeds are going to go to the ukraine crisis uh relief fund um and i don't mean like a hundred percent of the profits literally all of the money you send us is going to get donated that's um so we're asking for two bucks. Uh, if you feel compelled to give more, that's that's totally up to you. Um, but in exchange, you get a pretty a pretty cool sticker, and I think a, a decent way of just showing some some support. Um, it's our tiny tiny you know uh, fraction of a of a way to try to to give something back. And um, so hopefully, yeah, hopefully a, a handful of people will will engage, and yeah, we'll order more stickers if if the need arises but um yeah just our little way of feeling like we can you know gain some modicum of control uh back and just (laughs) offer offer some way of uh of being able to give to the situation while uh while getting that kind of outward show of support For for sure yeah thanks mike for uh you know mocking that up for us real quick um it turns out the logo looks good in literally every color, so that's that's great. But uh, <laughs> that's yeah. how hard Mike Mike killed it. Just like yeah. we could literally do anything because um, he yeah. he just yeah. And shout out to the people too that have already messaged us uh, wanting one. Um, like we said, they're they're being printed right now, so we don't have them in hand. But certainly, to the people that already reached out, you are on our list, on our radar. Um, and we appreciate you and I'm, I'm sure, I I hope that, you know, people in Ukraine appreciate it as well that, you know, the entire world is trying to come together and do something. Um, so yeah. Yeah. It's been a pretty, it's been a pretty bleak 
uh, night for news. So trying to uh, distract, I, I think, you know, we often turn to sports in, in times like these. And, and fortunately, we, we recognize the privilege of being able to, to do something like this and, and uh, not be impacted by such intense de- events directly. Um, so just thinking of thinking of all those who who don't have the luxury um of of worrying about that at the moment but um but yeah well mika with that <laughs> i know we're off to a very bright note here uh on this episode hard to ignore in in intense intense times but um for those who are finding the podcast for the first time uh like we said you can find us on twitter at hxc football and you can find us uh, on pretty much every major podcast platform. So take a, take a look. Um, and, uh, recently noticed that in addition to Apple podcasts, Spotify now has a rating feature. Um, so if you're so inclined to, to rate the show, it, it's right under on the main page when you pull it up on the Spotify app, it's right beneath the, um, podcast summary, like the written summary basically. Um, and you can rate, rate the show so if it if you're so inclined uh we would really appreciate it because it does just get more eyeballs on the show um when when they rate well so um yeah thanks in advance well thanks to everyone who's already dropped a a rating um and then uh yeah thanks in advance to anyone willing to drop us one um we uh yeah just appreciate all the all the support yeah for sure well, shall we, Mika? I mean, we've got quite a bit to dive into. We we kind of structured this episode. We had a couple of obvious like main talking points that we had, um, but for this one, once again, like the listeners came through and a lot of listener questions, and so a bit of a mailbag episode today. Yeah, a bit of a mailbag. So, because you know, we, we do have to touch on some things that we waited a little while to to discuss, like the Carabao Cup win, of course. But we got to let you have your moment on the pod tonight, <laughs> Phil for Liverpool's win and of course things that have happened with Chelsea Football Club but yeah like half the episode is a, is a mailbag so thank you very much again to the to the listeners for humoring us and like the topics really range like it's it's really good so um yeah thank you guys well i think as you mentioned i i get my moment in the sun uh here on the show and <laughs> and so Liverpool claimed the the Carabao Cup. Uh, it kind of a weird feeling a little bit as a Liverpool fan because uh, Klopp has swerved these trophies for the last few years, and definitely feels a little bit different to have have made this run and and make it all the way to the final. But before we kind of talk about Liverpool's win, I mean, Mika, this match for being a nil nil after 120 minutes going, going all the way to penalties. Um, a lot of people praising this match for being a very exciting nil nil for a neutral. Like how did you enjoy this final? Oh, it was fantastic. I, I, you know me, like if, if there's something else on outside of England, I'll usually watch that, but I did end up turning to this one because everything else on was kind of bleak, and I'm glad that I did. Uh, it was really, really entertaining, like you said, really an exciting nil-nil. I don't know that it was... I mean, there was definitely some quality on display, let's let's be fair. I think um, Queen Vink Kelleher and, and, and Benjamin Monty had 
outstanding days in I said Benjamin Mondi. No, that is not what I meant. Edouard Mondi. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Important <laughs> distinction. The other one is the other one is canceled. Yeah. Um but uh they both had outstanding days in net uh for their sides. Um a lot of good chances went to each side. So in that way it's like was it a good game or a good spectacle? I tend to think it was a better spectacle than maybe a, a game, tactically speaking, but um Overall, it was it was really a lot of fun to watch. I think Liverpool are deserved winners, to be fair, um, and probably both sides should have had some goals in from open play, or at least in in the in the you know regular game time, because it just felt like things were flying in left and right, and everything was offside. <laughs> like <laughs> it was ridiculous, and some fouls that were called. Like I think. I think Romelu Lukaku probably should have had a goal. I don't know that he was offside in that that chance that he took. Um, same thing with with Joel Matip having that that header that that got chalked off because Van Dyke fouled someone in the box. That that's a foul that happens in every match of football that I've ever seen. So yeah, there was a lot of a lot of that kind of stuff where it's like I was hoping that it wouldn't come down to refereeing, and ultimately like. It didn't, but I'm sure as a fan of of one of these clubs, it was nerve-wracking right to the very end, but Liverpool were able to pull it out, and I think they deserved it, to be honest. It it was a it was a rough cup final to to watch as a as a fan of of Liverpool, only because there were there were long periods of the game where I think both teams and I think this is it's interesting when when two teams of this caliber face each other because you you have yeah kind of the two there's two potential outcomes there's the bland like very methodical and and both teams kind of just sit back and are it's really cagey and they're so good they kind of cancel each other out this was really interesting because it felt very back and forth like each team had these kind of like 10 minute spells where they would dominate um and and that was really really intriguing i think and in the way that it played out we had kind of this ebb and flow where at the end of the game you kind of think like well i'm not sure how it's ended nil nil and as you said like a lot of a lot of offside goals like in particular chelsea towards the end um the i think the matip goal is actually chalked off for offside against van dyke in the end for not oh, fouling, but like foul. yeah. not fouling, but like interfering with play. It, it's you know, I think it was Show, shows you how confused the average person was then, because I yeah, I, yeah, it was ridiculous. So so yeah, the the nearly moments, and I mean, gosh, it 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 got to a point at the end where it was a, it actually wasn't as nerve wracking because each time that Chelsea put the ball in the back of the net, I just assumed that the flag was going to go up like that. <laughs> <laughs> just, I mean, it just got to that point. Um, the Lukaku one, the Lukaku one is tough for me because I think to be, you know, I think to be honest, and I think any Liverpool fan worth their salt would probably say the same. Liverpool fans have felt very aggrieved by the like technology offside in in recent years. Um, there's been a handful of games that you know those very marginal offside decisions um went the other way and i think the thing that gets me is in in the post match like often what's what's talked about on those very tight decisions where they're like 
it's like to my eye it absolutely looks onside and to basically like every standard of you know his feet are onside his his arm is the only thing offside like that's the if if it is and it, so often it's it's explained a way that like it's a trick of the eye and the parallax of the camera view and all these things like they get kind of thrown around. And the thing that bothers me about it is that there are certain offside decisions where they they, they decide in the booth that it is clear enough to not measure. But if there's these like tricks of the eye and these like parallax issues then how could you possibly be sure enough from a still image of an offset camera that it is a clear and obvious like offside or it, you know, it either clearly on onside or clearly off because to me, Lukaku in that image, when you look at it without the lines, it's like, he looks on. So yeah. what if the linesman or what if the VAR had decided like, I don't even need to measure this because he looks on like, Sure. And then right. they give it on side and technically he was off like by the very slightest rules of the game. Um, so that's where I start to get into the like, OK, well, who's making the decision of what is measurable? Like, you know, are right. they breaking out the initial lines and saying, oh, they're far enough apart and we don't even need to show them or whatever? Anyways, I I digress. But the, the bottom line is like the offside and, and all these things like it does at a certain point start to feel a little like arbitrary about what is measurable and what's not and even the van dyke uh like interfering with the play thing is something that would very rarely be given so it just felt like it felt a little bit like they wanted penalties I, and i know that sounds <laughs> that sounds really like cynical and conspiracy theory tin hat sort of stuff but it did start to feel like that a little bit where each goal, like it's just like, yep, offside. And there were some that were clearly off and there was no, you know, no gripes about that. But the Lukaku one, it did feel like, yeah, this is probably getting chalked off just because like that's how it's gone. Um, <laughs> but yeah, a little bit of a weird, a weird final, but it goes all the way to penalties and a, a penalty shootout of the highest caliber for 21 of the kicks i mean this penalty shootout had the potential to expose a very huge loophole in the game which is that it could have theoretically gone on forever <laughs> <laughs> i mean there's no mechanism that i know of to end it other than how it ended yeah um and the penalties were so good oh my goodness but i mean we but before we even get there we have to talk about Keparita Balaga coming on for ben, uh, for why do i keep saying that edward mendy when he had an outstanding game do you think i mean hindsight being 2020 i mean what did you think of that that uh decision at the time obviously it was taken this is a decision that was not taken on the spot. They they definitely planned this, obviously, but yeah. to follow through with it, what did you make of that? Yeah, it was it was a little strange. Um, I think I think Tuchel talked about the fact that this is something that we did in the in the Club World Cup and it worked, and so you know we thought about it here. I think 
the really interesting thing is when he made the decision to start Mendy instead of Keppa, he talked about how, like, I can't be sentimental. But then clearly, like, he wanted Keppa to have an involvement in winning the trophy. So in the end, like, it does feel like he let sentiment, like, get the best of him. Because if you watch Mendy, I don't care, like, in training or whatever, like, if Keppa faces a bunch of penalties and or whatever. Mendy looked unbelievable and made a couple of just like world-class saves if Kepa starts that game it it ends in regulation Liverpool win like on on balance in in regular time like the 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 couple that stand out to me I mean the Mane point-blank save and then the the save from from Virgil van Dijk's header in the second half as well um off the corner like they're just two of like the best saves you'll see this season in in one performance. So how Tuchel can look on and be like, yeah, I'm gonna take him off despite he's. I mean, he looked unbeatable. Um, yeah, it felt like he in the end like let sentiment actually get the best of him. Interesting. I hadn't heard that that perspective. Um, I mean, statistically, Kepa Balaga is the better penalty stopper. Statistically speaking. Sure. Um, but for me, what I didn't like about it, and I, I kind of tweeted it like as it was beginning, was like, it always makes me feel some type of way when people switch out goalkeepers for anything other than an injury is, and especially in this case where you're going into penalties, it doesn't matter to me that, that Kepa is the better penalty stopper ostensibly. He's not had the rhythm of the game. Like, He's, you know what I mean? Like he mm-hmm. has not, Mendy was feeling it. Like he was feeling himself. He was yeah. playing out of his mind. Like just so good. Been, been so good for a while now for Chelsea and for Senegal, you know, newly crowned African champion participated in a penalty shootout there as well. Maybe not as decisive as, you know, uh, um, you would think, but still participated in it, won yeah. it eventually. And again, he he played this entire game and was in the moment. So that's for me what bothered me is like he's he's not got the match rhythm. <laughs> Kepa doesn't yeah. to come in and and face it, and then he ends up not stopping a single thing. And then it's unfortunately him who skies the the last penalty to lose it for Chelsea. And like it's just I, I don't know. Like he he's. He's been a poor signing, I think it has to be said, especially for the money they outlay. I think he's still the most expensive goalkeeper yeah. of all time, I believe. Yeah. So the I think the bitter irony here for Chelsea fans is that he costs more than Allison Becker, who sat on the bench while his number two won this penalty shootout. So <laughs> And and Keller scored a nice one, so yeah the, i mean it was just i obviously what was your favorite penalty it's so Kellhurst is up there because he takes it with like supreme confidence and i want to i want to say that i think kelleher the quality of kelleher's penalty actually plays into keppa's miss because <laughs> because if i think if kelleher yeah. plays it safe or relatively safe and tries to go, you know, low place like placement, get it on target type thing. Um, 
I think Keppa similarly like just tries to make sure, hey, head down, knee over the ball, like let's just make sure side foot, like let's just make sure that it stays low and on target. Um and you know, hopefully send the send the guy the wrong way. But Kelher goes up there with such confidence, like he didn't even hesitate and he smashes it in the top corner. Um and I think it got Keppa thinking like, okay, I'm gonna have to actually like do something here and he ends up you know taking a goal kick instead of a penalty <laughs> but yeah he was leaning back it was but a poor I, form from him i think my true favorite it's it's tough because between the disrespect on display from liverpool in a couple of these penalties was was real and i can't decide if it's fabinho with the panenka or Virgil van Dyke, who Keppa literally stands straight to the side that van Dyke's going to hit it. And he still just hits it past him and then stares him down. Like, I think van Dyke's is by far the coldest because cold as ice, the, the you know, he called his bluff was showing him that side. He's like, okay, I'll put it there. It's fine. <sighs> and put it there where it's unsavable anyway. Yeah. It's the side netting. So yeah, yeah I mean, it was, my hands are sweaty, and I had no skin of the game. <laughs> I mean, I needed Liverpool to win for like world peace, right? But uh, <laughs> yeah, it was it was crazy. So yeah, I think uh, you know Liverpool really. I think they deserved it, and I think it's really interesting too because I don't think Klopp had made it all the way to Wembley. He before Eddie or one at least. Yeah, they went to a League Cup final in his first season. Like he. He joined midseason mm. and they had already made it into the later stages of the League Cup. Um, and he went to a League Cup final against City and they lost on penalties. They only made they only made two. Mm. So a okay. little bit of improvement God. in going eleven for eleven in this in this Absolutely. one. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So uh -oh. yeah. It's it's interesting. And I'm just glad that it's going somewhere other than City. I mean, they've kind of just cleaned up this competition yeah. and it felt like a real occasion again, I think, because it was something different and two very well matched sides, it has to be said. So Yeah. Yeah, I think I think you could tell in Wembley too, it just there was a an electricity about it. Like neither team was saying, Oh, this you know, it's tin Tin, you know tinfoil cup or whatever like everybody was yeah, just yeah. everybody was into it into the occasion um great atmosphere and yeah like you said to totally felt like like a special a special occasion i think i think for liverpool to me it also it wasn't a true departure from what they've done in the past in that in the early rounds of these cups like they did play a lot of a lot of kids, a lot of like the fringe players or players who don't start as regularly in the league and champions league. Um, so I think this is actually like more of a statement for Liverpool as to their actual squad depth and like the evolution that despite not making a ton of signings and not making, you know, not overhauling the squad, maybe to the extent that a team like city might, um, it's a bit of a statement to win a domestic cup in this in this way where you did you know it did feature a lot of you know Takumi Minamino was one of the like top scorers in the competition um and so just having that ability to rotate 
while still competing on, on all fronts, that's new for Liverpool because they haven't been able to do that up to this point. So um, I'm not saying the quadruple's on or anything like that, but seeing Liverpool compete like across the breadth of all the competitions, despite still being able to rotate. And I mean, we saw them win in the FA Cup today with a heavily rotated squad against a heavily rotated Norwich as well, to be fair. But um, but yeah, I think, you know, we're we're finally kind of seeing that next step from Liverpool, which is, you know, not only competing for leagues and, and titles, but competing for all of them um, to a certain right. to a certain level. Right. Yeah. It's nice to get silverware in February. Yeah. <laughs> <Fair> play. <laughs> Just get that out of the way, you know. <laughs> well, their opponents, Chelsea, um, obviously suffered defeat in the in the cup final, but it's quickly followed by a little bit more of like an ex- existential threat to the club in that the owner, Roman Abramovich, is obviously Russian national, close ties to Putin's regime, um, and as a result, potentially facing sanctions in the UK. And there have actually been members of parliament who have already started to question whether Roman Abramovich should legally be allowed to own a club in, in England and if it should be you know stripped from him or if it should be part of the assets that are seized um, or frozen. And in the meantime, while these debates are ongoing, Roman Abramovich kind of shocked the world uh, and looks like he's ready to sell. Yeah, he made he made the announcement today via club statement that he will be looking to sell Chelsea Football Club um, after many years of great success. It has to be said on the football pitch. Um and yeah, it's it's the end of an era, and I, and I I'm not trying to romanticize it, but I mean it, it's it's just true. You know, the Abramovich era has been very fruitful for Chelsea and for him because let's be honest, the this club was bought to enhance his his reputation. I think I'm pretty comfortable saying that, yeah. um, and and in some ways it has done that. Um, yeah, and I mean. Y- I guess there were hints of this because earlier in the week he had, you know, had a statement that he was transferring stewardship of the club to, I believe it was like the trustees of their charitable foundation. Uh, I might be misquoting that, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, the intention started to become clear that he was trying to, you know, apparently divest himself of Chelsea. And I assume that has to do with the fact that time is of the essence um, and he's got to get these things done before sanctions are, are lobbied against him. So yeah. um, I won't claim to know all of the ins and outs of how that would work necessarily, but it looks like there are at least some parties in, in the United States and in, in Switzerland that are interested in buying Chelsea. Um, you know, figures being bandied about at about 3 billion to 4 billion pounds. Uh, of course, Roman Abramovich is holding company that owns Chelsea. You know, they, hold a note from Chelsea for like 1.5 billion pounds. He said that he's not going to seek the repayment of that note, which, you know, on its face, that seems like a a cavalier thing, but you know, you wonder what the motives are there. Um, And uh, yeah. And then he, he did say that he would like the, the net proceeds to be directed to a charity to, to assist people who are suffering from the war in Ukraine. And I think he did call it that. 
the war. So interesting, like yeah. just a lot there um, that I think you could take one of many ways. But at the same time, it is a club statement. It is meant to suit him and his goals and what he wants to get across. So, um, yeah, it's it's a very fluid situation. I'm sure as we're speaking, things are going on that, that we don't know about. But um, it's crazy. Um, yeah. It's really – it's it's – just nuts like I, I i i don't know i can't think of i can't i i think i when i started getting into the premier league he was already uh own it came into ownership of chelsea it's been uh, it's been a little bit yeah and many trophies later so um yeah i just hope whoever comes and and takes chelsea over isn't nearly as bleak of <laughs> a character to be fair but not many uh you know not many I don't know, super clean billionaires out there, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, uh, <laughs> I guess that's the the rub of it is, you know, to a certain extent, like a lot of, a lot of businessmen of, of this, I guess, stature, um, especially someone who, you know, has made their, their money in, you know, metals. Uh, it's, you know, <laughs> there's not a lot of, yeah. yeah, like you said, not a lot of clean, clean billionaires out there. But um, yeah, reportedly Swiss businessman uh, Hans-Jörg Viss is, is the, or Vice, I'm not sure, um, is the. Uh, yeah, it's, I'm sure it's Vice or something. Vice probably <laughs> um, is the, is the one who's been linked with the club and as well, the owner of the LA Dodgers is reportedly part of the consortium that's trying to get the money together. But as you pointed out on Twitter, this sale, if it does actually go through, because I mean, at the moment, like there, he's trying to make the proceeds go to his charitable charitable foundation, which I'm sure has to do with him assuming that these are going to be like frozen assets again. So I think he's trying to have his companies at least benefit from the proceeds if if he's not going to personally benefit um <laughs> but uh these yeah these moves like like you said a lot of banks would be lining up to like support this move and get get their their beaks wet on like what's <laughs> yeah. going to what's going to go on and yeah i think you would be really i mean there's a lot of very you know, risk, risk taking investment banks out there who are willing to, you know, put up a risky investment. But like this feels beyond like the normal levels of risk that someone would be willing to assume in an investment scenario. Um, so I mean, you literally might be breaking the law depending on when this goes through, because if you're like enriching someone who is sanctioned by, you know, the Western world, like yep. that's, that's a problem. And my goodness, um, I, I don't know. It's I can't believe we're talking about this on a football podcast, but it's all so yeah. relevant. Like, if ever anyone says like football and politics shouldn't match or you know mesh, like that's BS. Clearly, <laughs> yeah, they they so. do by their nature. Um, sure. Yeah, I mean, for Chelsea fans, obviously, this it does signal a a huge moment and a huge change if Abramovich you know does end up selling the club he he bought the club in 2003 for 140 million pounds and 
near just shy of 20 years on the club's now worth reportedly 2 billion um i mean 140 million pounds that's not even a neymar yeah wow and i mean it's in 03 money but still like i mean we're talking yeah. maybe like 200 million <laughs> you know even Holy. adjusting for inflation if like at a high yeah. rate um right. so yeah the reality is that um Chelsea are a different club than than what he bought them as. Like they have won loads of trophies, he, tons of club firsts happened under him. And not to say that it was a totally, you know, benevolent thing because he's also changed football in many ways. Um, because he was one of the first to to kind of blaze this trail of uh, you know, the the tycoon takeover and and that sort of um windfall for these clubs and and pumping a lot of investment into a club that traditionally like isn't i mean financial fair play basically exists because of him like at the end of the like this is he was a huge <laughs> right. you know part of of that so um so anyways i say all that to say that for chelsea fans this is obviously a little bit of a weird moment but the club is in a different stratosphere than it was when he bought him and the idea that it would suddenly fade into obscurity because it's not Roman, like, I don't think you have to worry about it because whoever buys it is going to have significant financial clout behind them. Um, it'll be interesting to see how much of the structure of the club remains in place if it is right. uh, if it is a new ownership, because likely a lot of the structures that that Romans built, like, are going to go away, like, by kind of by nature um so yeah i'm yeah that's what i'm really interested to see as well is is how that structure is going to change because like you said the money will come like yeah it's it's chelsea it's a huge asset somebody will come uh but i mean a lot of this success is on the people that he's appointed nate you know chief among them marina granovskaya who i don't see remaining there if, if roman's not involved i don't know i could be wrong but i mean she's his trusted confidant and uh yeah i mean i don't even know maybe she's sanctionable too i don't know like, i don't <laughs> I truly be, don't yeah, this <laughs> um but uh yeah that's that's absolutely right phil the, the structures is as what i'm interested to see how that will change but chelsea i think chelsea will still be chelsea i think they'll still be they are a big you know big institution thanks to the things that he's done but just wow things are changing very quickly truly um yeah very and, and interesting too and obviously you know i don't want to editorialize like too too much because there's so much of this that we don't see and we don't we don't have the full context of the conversations right. that are happening but i think the reality is and you pointed out in his statement he says war we've had a couple of other like notable russian uh billionaires or oligarchs whatever you want to call them come out and kind of break ranks with Putin and speak mm -hmm. out against the war. And, and I mean, the idea that Roman Abramovich is talking about donating $2 billion to Ukrainian relief efforts. That's not yeah. insignificant in terms of the statement that that's sending. So I think, I think right now, and obviously this isn't a geopolitics podcast, but the reality is that <laughs> these Russian businessmen and women who are being impacted by this are seemingly 
not super thrilled like with with the way that that things have gone and it'll be interesting to see how sustainable that is long term but you know i won't get too uh yeah too in the weeds with that but yeah a roman <laughs> a part of that you know kind of traditional uh click that now is se- seemingly kind of fracturing a little bit if i may be a bit cynical i wonder if if uh the Saudi regime is looking at this like, damn, we should have waited a couple more months. <laughs> we Chelsea. Uh, that's horrible. I'm sorry. Oh, that. But uh... <laughs> oh my God. Uh, wow. Yeah. Oh, they might. They what might, might have been. That. I don't know. Can you? Can you own two Premier League clubs? I mean, if they could, I bet they would. Uh, just go like full like conflict, Le- but go full Liga MX and just like have the same company own like five teams. <laughs> <laughs> anyway that's just me being a little a little shit but yeah <laughs> well um yeah with all that being said we'll obviously be watching closely and i think you know in the in the event that chelsea is sold we'll obviously be covering be covering that uh and and speaking about it in the future and uh but we'll uh yeah we'll we'll have to watch and hard to hard to think about you know if you went back a while and said you know roman abramovich will decide to sell the club just after losing the care about cup final i think everybody would be like what the fuck are you talking about like how would that, that possibly would be, be the trigger that would be like a 100 percent true statement void of context void of any of the actual context for why he sold yeah oh so. my goodness Anyways, um, well, Mika, I think we have uh, we got a bunch of listener questions to dive into. So why don't we uh, take a quick break and then we can get get cracking. Sounds good. Welcome back. Well, Mika, we're going to dive straight into our listener questions. And I think uh, I think you're you're kicking us off here in the second half. Yes, so we got a question from at Dave, WA16TTS, Dave Watts. Dave says, does RB Leipzig have an advantage advancing in the UEFA Europa League without having to compete? Or by the time of the quarterfinals, are they going to be rusty? Yeah, I mean, uh, for those who haven't seen the news, um, Spartak Moscow, who was RB Leipzig's opponents in the Europa League round of 16 that was recently drawn, have been disqualified from the competition and and won't be participating anymore um, as a result of of Russia's uh, invasion of Ukraine. So um, a very hard line taken by UEFA in terms of uh, how to treat Russian the Russian clubs. Um, and does RB Leipzig have an advantage? I mean, I think it's up to them to be honest. And well, maybe Mika, we could talk about, let's talk about Spartak and then we can talk about RB Leipzig's like, yeah, benefits from it. So, (laughs) so yeah, yeah, we can answer kind of the, I mean, so Spartak being, being expelled from the competition, obviously I think there's a lot of reasons why. But sure. do you think this is the the sort of move that UEFA like should have made? Um, 
I think it's kind of like a, a continuation, a little bit of our, our previous discussion about Roman Abramovich and that we don't know everything that, that, you know, went into this decision. I like to think there was like extremely detailed legal advice that went into this decision because yeah. it's, it's a big one. Um, without knowing all of those things though, I do feel a little bit like we're at the black diamond of a slippery slope. <laughs> like, like sure. how do you decide? Cause we don't know. We don't know other than, than what we know about what's going on in the world. What exactly was like, you are kicked out. Like what is the line that was crossed other than just being a Russian club? Is it a sanction thing? Like where it's like, Oh, we have to, cause you're part of this. I, I don't know. Right. Um, but I do as just, a human being, I do feel for the players and the staff because sure. they're just people, you know, they're, they're not, they're not waging a war in Ukraine. I, I mean, and I don't know if like Spartak Moscow's owners or whatever have anything to do with this, but just the playing staff, you know, the actual footballing part of that club, I, I highly doubt they have any war ill will towards Ukraine that, you know, and, and probably just want to play football and, and wanted to be involved in this competition. Um, so in, in and not all of them are you know like Russian or anything like you know it's an international club they've got players from all over the world, so I do feel for them in that regard and and it's hard to you know be like that's completely wrong or you know that's totally right because we don't know everything but I can see on the face of it why it was done it's just like I've seen people make you know different arguments about well you know this club from this country still participates and that's you know that's fine and and I get that. And, um, you know, in, in other circumstances, it might be a bit of what about is but I do see the, the, comp the comparisons people are making because it is, it is a question, like, how do you decide who gets kicked out and, and for what, you know, I, I, I don't know. Um, it's, it's interesting, but just again, on a, on a personal level, I do feel for the players and, and the staff, cause that's tough to just. You know, you're not even kicked out on on any sporting merit necessarily. It's just something that is out of your control. But um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. How do you how do you feel about that? I think I think it's really tough because I I I do think I do think that there are there are positives in UEFA finally kind of taking some difficult stances and it'll in a lot of cases like they i think they've been pressured into it because i think if they had their if they had their way they wouldn't have done this um right. so i think they've when they were making the decisions about rush the russian national team i think they they ended up just deciding to cast like a much wider net um than than what i think we originally anticipated yeah i think they ended up having a difficult time actually knowing where to draw the line and say, okay, is it enough that we just ignore it and let Spartak like participate in the competition, but then RB Leipzig then has to travel to Moscow. Like, and that's like a potentially threatening situation for players, uh, you know, not of Russian descent um, in, in a, you know, volatile situation and obviously traveling, you know, in any of those sorts of, uh, so then it's like, okay, well then does Spartak play 
do both games get played at RB Leipzig? Does one game take place at a neutral venue? Does another country allow Spartak to play in their venue? Like, does someone sign up for that? Um, Uh So, yeah, I think there's a lot of weird logistical things that start to come into it. And I think at the end of the day, UEFA probably just was like, we're just going to ban them like outright because we're banning the national team and we're just going to like keep a consistent like line across with FIFA and say that Russian teams aren't going to compete in international competition. Um, But as you said, like, I mean, the, the manager of Spartak Moscow is Italian. Like the, you know, there's, there's not like, it's, it's by no means like a, you know, um, an arm of the Russian government or anything like that. And so in their, in their statement, you know, they said, um, the the recent decision taken by UEFA and FIFA, although expected, is extremely upsetting. Um, unfortunately, the efforts that our club made in the Europa League have been nullified for reasons that are far outside the remit of sports. So to your point, they don't really have any control. And yet, like, due to the situation, and I think this is kind of what we're seeing all over the place, like you said, there's going to be a lot of people impacted by this who ultimately, like, don't have any control over whether it's happening or not. Um, and one of the things that kind of stuck out to me too, is not just, not just Russian clubs or Russian teams, but, um, I don't know if you saw the game, um, Atalanta beat Sampdoria, uh, yesterday. I think it was, yeah, Tuesday they played and, uh, Alexi Moranchuk scored a brilliant goal for the, for the, uh, for Atalanta's fourth um, against Sampdoria and uh, didn't celebrate, didn't, um, was like very just like muted in his whole reaction. And so it's, it's also impacting like Russian athletes, like just more broadly. Like, I mean, he plays football in Italy. He has obviously like no direct, you know, not outside of, I don't know, maybe his like cousins in the ministry of defense or something like that. I don't know, but like God. outside of out, you know, outside of like any distant relation, like there's no, he doesn't have like a tie to, you know, the Russian government right. or anything like that. But he also felt like there's a, almost like a, I'm not really sure like the right word to use, but almost like a shame, like to an extent and not wanting to like gloat or showboat like at this time and sure. wanting to, like be deferential. And, and so like, it was crazy because his teammates were going crazy and they all embraced him and they all like ran, you know, they all were with him. Um, but it, you could just tell that he, he didn't want to appear like he was like overly indulging in the moment because of what it would look like for, Oh, look at the Russian, just like having a grand old time. Um, while, you know, his government shells the Ukrainians type thing. Like, and that's, um, it, it's a burden that they're carrying that, you know, it's not there. It's not theirs necessarily to bear because they're not choosing to do it. But ultimately, they are they are bearing the weight of this. And it's it's, yeah, being carried by their clubs and even their athletes, too. Yeah, that's really sad. And I mean, I just looked at it right now because I'm trying to figure out a logical way of how this had gone down. And FC Spartak Moscow, their president is Leonid Fedun, who is 
a the CEO of of Lukoil, which is the second largest company in Russia uh, after yeah. Gazprom, who have been sanctioned in the past for what's going on in Ukraine. So yeah. maybe I, I don't know, but maybe it is as easy as like you literally can't play in this because you're I don't know I don't know if they're being Could sanctioned this time around or what, but that's just it's just so bleak. Um, so does RB Leipzig have an advantage? <laughs> I mean, Dave, I think. To your point, I think that it's up to RB Leipzig whether this is an advantage or not because they just got two midweek games canceled, and we know that those Thursday Europa League games are murder. Um, sure. So the fact that they they got and they're, a, they're saving a lot of travel as well too. Yeah, fair. ton of travel. So and they've got some. They've got a, a couple of like nice fixtures here and they're and i say nice they've got a couple of tricky fixtures as well but they're currently fourth and they have a little bit of a chance here i'm not even thinking like oh they have a better chance of maybe they'll be you know in better shape or well rested for the next round of the europa league i'm thinking freiburg greuterfurt eintracht frankfurt rb leipzig if they can make the their you know, lack of a midweek game tell. And Dave, I know you're a Frankfurt fan, so I'm sure you won't be you won't be rooting for, for Leipzig <laughs> to take advantage. But if they can take advantage in those three games, they could actually potentially take, you know, seize on the fact that there are other teams. And I think notably Dortmund still have a second. Li- or are, are they still in the competition? Did they get knocked out? I don't know. Maybe Ooh, not. I don't remember. I can't remember if Dortmund's embarrassment. No, they got knocked out by Rangers because that's because that's oh, a right. thing. That's by a like thing a that lot. happened. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So, Six anyways, how could we forget? Yeah. So Leipzig. Uh, yeah, Leipzig have it in their hands now to make it count. And if they drop any points in this run, then ultimately, I don't think it will have been a benefit. But if they can stay yeah. healthy and the travel, you know, benefits them, then. Hopefully for sure. Yeah, it's probably an advantage, but um, the next question came, came to us from uh, at Ramon Cole, AKA Harry on, on Twitter. He asked with champions league coming back this next week, any upsets that you see happening uh, since most are still either tied or a one goal difference outside of city who leads sporting five nil and Liverpool and Chelsea are, are two nil up. Um, but who do you think are there any are there any upsets waiting in the cards or any uh any unexpected results that you're that you're looking for in this next round of Champions League games? The fixtures are interesting because I feel like for the most part they're pretty evenly matched. Um I mean the only one that you could really say is like a huge upset in terms of like if that if it came to pass is I guess I don't know, like Villarreal over Juventus, just in terms of straight up like resources and uh, purported prestige, if you will. Um, I think that could maybe be a thing, and it is on a knife's edge, one-one aggregate. Um, you never know with that. I I do think Juventus will go through though. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I think if there's any, and and then again, like the other fixture that I'm looking at that could maybe be a surprise, but not necessarily an upset is is Benfica Ajax. I think Benfica could, you know, maybe go through. They've been pretty decent in the league and 
made a good showing of it against IX, and you know, there's all this stuff swirling around about Ten Hag maybe moving on eventually. So I don't know that if that's a distraction to IX or what, but um, I, I just think at this point in the competition, there's I don't know. It's all on a knife's edge. I don't know that there's any like super like like David and Goliath type fixtures. Everyone seems to be well matched. I don't know if that's how you feel, Phil, but yeah, yeah. I I think the one the one I am looking out for, and I think the one and my sister won't be happy to hear this, but I think Salzburg Bayern is. I did see that out of the corner of my eye. It's yeah. got. I mean, it's one one. And it it's in the Allianz for the second leg, so it could be that they just put things away. But the reality this year, and I think I think this has been kind of this hasn't been talked about as much when we talk about Bayern's like, and I say inconsistency with a, a little bit tongue in cheek because obviously there's still quite a bit. Yo, know, I I don't think we have like again. It's an eight point gap at the top of the Bundesliga, um, but Bayern have had the either no fans or the amount of fans in the Allianz capped for much of the season because of COVID numbers in Bavaria and rules like the state rules regarding COVID. Um, so they have been playing either in front of an empty stadium or a reduced capacity stadium all season long. And we know, I think we all know the, the extent to which German crowds impact their teams. Like the atmospheres are among the best in the world. If not, you know, the very, very top when you just like aggregate across an entire league. Um, And the Allianz is a cauldron typically, but when it's like, you know, an eighth full, that's, (laughs) that can be a little bit less intimidating for a team like Salzburg that has a lot of young players that are really hungry and, they could go out and really make a name for themselves in this. And if they're not intimidated by like the, like a relative, relatively sparse crowd that's enforced um, by the regulations, they could, they could do something. And I think we've seen that Byron are, they're a little vulnerable, especially with Neuer being out too. Like they they have two wins in a row. And I do think they are still by far the favorites to get the job done against, against Salzburg. Um, but I think there are a couple of factors that make Bayern a little bit more vulnerable to a potential upset than they normally would be. I think that's fair enough. Yeah, I mean, Bayern, you know, they scored like 20-plus goals in the group stage, so they're still lethal on that front. But For we sure. know, too, that, that that high line can be the undoing of them at times. And with all the young runners, willing runners that Salzburg have, yeah, that could be tricky so yeah that that is a a fair shout for sure i still think byron i still think byron get it done but but they've left the door open for salzburg and for sure in this one um and then i mean we'd be remiss to mention the the banter derby uh manchester united atletico (laughs) madrid um just because (laughs) that that one speaking of balance on a knife edge like i both of those teams could easily throw this tie away like who goes through? Gun to your head. <laughs> I think when when the chips are down, you never bet against Simeone in a sec in a Champions League Champions League second leg. Agreed. Yeah. I, even with Ronaldo, I mean, yeah. he's he's gone off the boil. So uh, you know, Very. we could see uh, you know, Ronaldo, you know, version two, but yeah. like. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> 
I've seen it. I mean, yeah. I've seen it firsthand on the wrong end of it as a Liverpool fan. And that was not in our, you know, not in either team's there was no banter involved. It was like a, a hotly contested, contested yeah. tie. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I thought, Oh, at Anfield second leg, no chance that Atletico Madrid, like come here and get a win. And they did. And that's, I mean, that's the reality. So old Trafford also, again, like not, it's a different, ver- different vibe than, than the Allianz, but like it hasn't been, a happy hunting ground for for United in a lot of ways this year. So I wouldn't like write it off as just oh United's at home for the second leg they probably get it done. I think in in some respects like this United team seems to be a little bit intimidated by their own fans. Um yeah. expectations well, so yeah. Yeah, and lately Atleti feels like they've looked themselves in the mirror and been like I'm going back to the old me. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's been- they bought this lad Reynaldo from Lille, and he <laughs> the Bugs Bunny meme. Yes, <laughs> for those of you um, not in our Zoom of two people uh, <laughs> reenacting yeah. the Bugs Bunny meme. Yeah, so I, I do think Atleti could go through on yeah. on just shithousery and and that yeah. Atleti spirit. What can I say? Yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting, though. Very. All right. We've got another question here from Goatfoot21. Grant. Thank you, Grant. He says, who's more likely to get relegated, Everton or Augsburg? This is a great question. Um, So looking at the table, both teams, Grant's obviously selected them on purpose and the purpose is that they're both sitting right outside of the relegation zone in their respective mm-hmm. leagues so everton are one point and clear and i believe grant is a toffee he is okay he is yeah. everton are sitting one point clear of burnley um outside you know just outside of the drop zone um and Likewise, Augsburg are level on points with Hertha Berlin, who are in that relegation playoff place in the Bundesliga, the that uh, third bottom spot. So it's it's interesting because I think I think form wise, there is it's hard to bet against Everton at the moment because I think I heard their the stat of their league form is they have two wins in the last 17. Is that even possible? I mean, given where they are. Yeah. <laughs> even shocking. Um, so the form of Everton, I think is, is where I, where I go in terms of thinking it, it might be them. I think, for Augsburg, I think the reality is they they obviously there was quite a bit of hype at the time of of the the Ricardo Pepe signing, which you know he was always going to take some time to to bet in and and get to acquainted to the level um, in Germany versus you know what he was used to in MLS. Plus, coming from an off season to a mid season, very different rhythms in terms of like his fitness and all those things so i think augsburg have unfortunately like put their a lot of their eggs in the peppy basket and it hasn't had like the 
impact that they would have expected. I think the only the only question for Everton or the only potential bright spot is they have looked better over the last maybe like three games. Um mm-hmm. in terms of like just not getting like completely blown up, you know, they got in the end, you know, or in that like initial Lampard hiring era, there were some pretty shocking results. The City game, I mean, their last game in the league, they played Man City and they actually, they should have gotten a point. Um, (laughs) Just like a shocking non-call on the handball decision. Um, And they got an apology, which is like, (laughs) that's even what am I meant to do with that? Like, (laughs) that's even worse. Like, oh, let me tack that on to my the table at the end of the season and see what that gets me. Like, right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So. If I had to pick between the two, I'm going to go strictly with like the odds here and the odds that Everton drop into the relegation places by default are it they're more likely to be relegated than Augsburg who could drop into the relegation playoff place and still remain in the league. Like despite technically being in a relegation place, they could still then have a chance to fight out of it. So I think just on odds, like I think Everton are actually the more likely to be relegated, but only because Augsburg could potentially bail themselves out. Interesting. I I think I agree on, on Everton being more likely, which is insane because they are a Premier League mainstay and a huge club. 100%. But their schedule is brutal. They still have Spurs, Wolves, Newcastle, who are surging, West Ham, United, Liverpool, Palace, Chelsea, Arsenal, Leicester, Brentford. Like, I, that is a dog shit schedule <laughs> if you're trying to survive in the Premier League. Now, with a manager who's never had to do it either. Right. Now, the people, you know, the the pack around them are also kind of in a precarious situation because Leeds have just gotten rid of Marcelo Bielsa who you know we didn't even get to eulogize that but Jeez, Jesse yeah. Marsh as well coming in never having done this kind of a thing before this rescue job <laughs> Frank <laughs> Lampard's down there Sean Dyche who I think you know he might just find a way again um, because I think that I trust them a lot I trust them more than than Everton leads to at least not concede yeah. But uh, yeah, Everton, I think they are in a big spot of trouble. Um, Augsburg, comparatively, they, they're going to fight the people around them, you know, like Goethe right. um, you know, Hertha Berlin, who are like the Burnley of, of the Bundesliga and that like they somehow are like surviving despite scheming. <laughs> um, but they do have Bayern and RB Leipzig um, in April and in, and in May. So... Yeah, it's tough for Augsburg as well, but Everton, I think, like, the, the, their schedule just really is brutal. And the only thing that I think goes in favor of Everton not getting re- the you know relegated is just the sheer amount of resource behind them, like, statistically speaking. Sure. The more money you have, the, you know, the, the greater your chances are of staying up. So, and, and we know Augsburg don't have nearly right. the, the resources that that the Toffees do. So, and Everton are also dealing with their own, like yeah. Russia fallout with, with Alisher Usmanov and, 
and whatnot. So yeah, they just cut uh, ties with about like forty million pounds of annual uh, sponsorship revenue in their three main like sponsors: USM and uh, well, whatever. Usmanov's yeah. like other companies, basically. Um, yeah. Yeah. So Brutal. the fallout is Brutal. really like rippling. Um, not yeah. to get too real with the whatever. Yeah. So I yeah Everton is. It's it's uh, precarious right now, and I think Frank Lampard's got a huge job. But yeah. if he, you know what, if he gets if he gets them into a safe position, that'll do wonders for his reputation. Absolutely. So, and obviously for Everton Football Club, of course. So. Yeah. Yeah, it would be. I mean, it's one of those things too. As a Liverpool fan, like I, I, I don't know that. Like, obviously, the banter level, and I'm sure people who live in Liverpool would just absolutely crave. Everton going down because they could just give it to their like blue (laughs) neighbors for as long as they're in the championship like they could just like give it give them shit all the time but as a like as a Liverpool fan from a distance the idea of like the Merseyside Derby not being a regular thing um it it would be kind of a bummer to be honest like for that to not be a guaranteed like annual fixture um That'd be kind of a bummer. Like, I wouldn't actually want to see that, I don't think, um, as enjoyable as it might be. I think the only thing that a couple of Liverpool fans, the point they've made is that, like, the Derby has devolved over the last couple of years just because as the gap has widened, like, Everton's players have treated it, like, a little bit too, you know, 90s Derbies versus, like, modern football. Um, But anyways... Violencia. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of, uh, our next ca- question comes from at Jake Konecki, um, who is a, you know, renowned fan of Pepe Bordalas and just very, just a stan, really, of, of everything that's gone on at Valencia for the last uh, four or five but years. not of Bordalas. He no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding, Jake. No, I'm just giving I'm giving him shit. Anyways, uh so Jake's question, uh, do the other big five leagues complain about trivial shit as much as the Premier League experts do? I don't speak German, Spanish, French, or Italian, so I don't pay attention to their media much. It seems like every week there's something dumb to complain about, like Arsenal celebrated too much versus Wolves, or do cup wins really matter? It just seems silly with how much fun stuff actually goes on. Yeah, this is an interesting one. I think I'm sure I'm sure that that same like low level discourse occurs. And in fact, I've seen a bit of it on Twitter and in in those other leagues. Uh, But yeah, (laughs) Phil is rubbing the hands together because my first thought was El Chiringuito de Jugones in Spain. I mean, like the... You know, everyone who follows Spanish football knows about El Chiringuito. It is literally like a trash talk show about football. I mean, these people made a clock out of Kylian Mbappe's face and just have it like <laughs> TikToking in the background till he signs for Real Madrid. I mean, they're yeah, and and they, you know, they they had uh, what's his name, 
Yeah, Papa Flo, Florentino yep. Perez on to announce the Super League, like on a meme <laughs> show. So yeah, these kind of things do happen <laughs> yeah. in in places other than than England. Are the, and the pundits, the pundits can be just as annoying as well. I know French media can be pretty spiky. Um, yeah, I, I remember them how they used to troll Nayamiri when he was the boss at PSG and about his French and all this. So yeah. like, yeah, I think there's levels for sure. Um, and the, you know, you, you cite the Arsenal celebrated too much versus Wolves kind of thing. And I think that's more of like the Twitter level, like discourse, yeah. but at the like media level of, of, of the people that cover these, these leagues for sure. Like, I think there's uh, some of that in every country and they have their own kind of like flair on it. Um, but yeah, it's, <laughs> I think El Chiringuito was my first thought for <laughs> sure in space. So I think like. Yeah, I think it's more a criticism of like all of the all of these pundits definitely, you know, Jake, to your point, like I think they don't allow themselves to actually enjoy what's happening um, and they they want to find stuff to be either like contrarian about or controversial about. And that goes for not just pundits, but, you know, like the Twitter, the, the Twitter sphere as well, just like these big accounts sure. are they're trying to generate discussion and clicks and like likes and all that shit. So um, that's, I mean, ultimately why a lot of these, and I think, I think to one of the things that at least on the English side, one of the things that I've <laughs> over time, like as you just kind of get an appreciation for who is serious and who's not like, you can start to whittle out. You can start to basically like tune out pundits who you know are just not. They're just not serious. Like they're going to say just random shit because they know that it's going to generate some level of controversy. Um, yeah. And so yeah, I think like as you kind of just you can classify those pundits like as it's like to the point of I write this person off. Like if Andy Gray speaks on being sports, like. I can, I know Insta mute, skip that video, whatever. Like, <laughs> like you don't need, you don't need that in your life. Like you don't need that toxicity in your life. So, um, so yeah, I think, I think just being able to, you know, know like, yeah, this is, this is serious or this isn't, but just my, just my two cents. For sure. All right. We are going to our continent, North America. Got yeah. a question from at XO underscore Glenn Coco, big uh, Milanista and an MLS fan. She asked, what are your favorite of the MLS kit drops? Have you yeah. had a chance to peruse the MLS kits, Phil? I have. Um, okay. I I will say it was mostly on Twitter at first um, because it was more out of a, a morbid curiosity because I think most years it's like – what's the theme going to be from Adidas and what are the variations <laughs> on the theme going to be and how hilarious will it be when every single team has a white shirt and a black shirt and it's like, <laughs> yeah. Right. So I was pleasantly surprised this year when there was some actually like some unique stuff that was out there. Now there is some dog shit. Like there is some <laughs> rough kit drops like San Jose earthquakes 
I don't know what happened in the design room. I think someone accidentally hit monochrome on the design and it just like came out. It's black and white and it's just, there's just nothing on it. Um, Terrible. But as far as my favorite, I think, I think it was a close call, but I think I, I, I had to kind of talk this one out and, and actually decide where I was landing. And I, I never thought I would pick this team to be first in anything in MLS but I think it is Orlando City's aways. Um, oh, okay. It's a white base shirt with a purple to yellow gradient that goes in vertical stripes, but not not like vertical stripes traditional. Almost like a. I can't even really describe. It's almost like sun rays. Yeah, it's like it truly, truly like a yeah. like a sunrise sort of pattern, but not in a cheesy way. Like in a very cool kind of clean sleek way but while there's still a lot going on with the shirt um and yeah it, it just like really struck me as unique and the design is is really cool um and the colors were really striking and on a white shirt it looks fantastic so yeah never thought i would really praise orlando city for doing anything well and here we are they i think they dropped the the best kid of the bunch very nice. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's a really good shout. And I think there were a lot of like clean looks, but not like bespoke enough for me to say they're my favorite. Sure. Like for example, Austin's away. Very boring. I do like the color. Like I'm one of the weird people on this earth that likes mint green. Like <laughs> I think it looks really nice. Don't you um, have an arsenal kit in that? Like in that, I do, yeah. yeah. And people call it like the toothpaste kit. I'm like, I'm about it. Like, <laughs> like call me Colgate, motherfucker. Like, <laughs> so the Austin one catches my eye for the color. Same thing with Charlotte's home jersey. It's literally, I mean, speaking of Arsenal kits, this is like our home kit from two seasons ago. Literally, that they just made blue and like it looks nice because it's a clean kit. But I think the one that I have to kind of point out is LAFC's home kit because they put the badge in the middle like in the like sternum yeah and that is big calcio energy (laughs) and I I gotta fuck with them for that like the shirt and the colors it's like whatever the pattern's kind of like I'm getting like great Gatsby vibes from it it's giving it's giving getting shot in your pool like (laughs) (laughs) at your art deco mansion yeah yeah so like that that part of it is not like awesome but the placement of the badge is very interesting for mls like i didn't think anyone had the the guts to do that so i will give them them props for that because like i said big calcio energy and, and i can fuck with that and it's much better than yeah draw set LA Galaxy put out. I'm sorry. Oh, terrible. They took like one of the classic shirts in MLS, which there are not many. Like there aren't many teams that you can identify by their shirt. But the sash on LA Galaxy is like iconic. And they took it out. Like they took out like the yeah. one thing that set them apart. Um yeah, that was just a bizarre decision. Like I know they've done some stuff with like sublimating it. And, you know, trying to, like, stylize the sash and all that stuff. Totally fine. Taking the sash out is, like, straight up unforgivable. If I was an LA Galaxy yeah. fan, I'd be I'd be at the fucking stadium. Like, that, <laughs> that would be absolutely unforgivable. Yeah, and for sure. 
quick. I don't uh, like the collar. The collar looks like a dog collar. No, it I looks don't. horrible. The whole thing yeah. is it's a disaster, like unmitigated disaster. Um, and then uh, honorable mention, I think, has to go to Portland Timbers for the Rose kit, the Rose City kit. And I say that mm. just because to me, like there, there's a really like corny way of doing that kit. And they actually found a way to make it unique. Like, yeah, because it's not just like a white kit with like blood red roses on it. They really went unique with the colors. The badge matches the colors in the kit. Like there's a lot of really cool things going on. Um, the pattern isn't distinct enough for me to like truly, truly th- call it like top tier. Mm. But it is it to me like a team doing something like that that is like truly unique in the colorway and everything like that. That was that was a a close, uh, you know, that was an honorable mention for me. But I hear you. My honorable mention just because you mentioned sashes. I think Philadelphia Union's home does a a version of a sash really well. I mean, it's like a one big stripe, but yeah, I would consider the, that a yeah. sash. And I think that looks pretty clean. To be fair to them, so. Um, yeah, I mean, there are a lot, I mean, to be fair, I think MLS has come a long way in terms of trying to be more unique throughout the league. I mean, everyone still has Adidas, of course, but yeah, yeah, some fire was dropped and and some shockers as well, but you know, Nashville FC also, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Nashville FC is also shocking, like just please never oh, again i don't remember what that looks like let me see they did like a version oh. of their crest like up and down the side of the oh yes side yes, panel okay. yeah no thank you <laughs> we're good thank you like i still i still can't believe that columbus has a whole like carabiner for a batch <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> hey it's for all those I... mountains in central ohio um, exactly yeah, but uh, oh my god, Columbus Springs switchbacks. Um, so <laughs> the <laughs> yeah, um, well, I guess we'll we'll close out the the listener questions section with a question from a uh, another podcast at fifty plus donor. Um, they asked, so go for some donor right now. Oh, no kidding! Like, <sighs> man. Oh, that anyway. sounds that sounds amazing. It's <laughs> oh, it's too late to be thinking about food right now. Um, so <laughs> so they they asked most desired away trip, and I think Mika, we could kind of take this in a couple of different directions. I had some I had some ideas, but where where were yeah. you thinking when you were thinking of this uh, of of this question? I mean, I, I took it to mean, like, anywhere, any game I'd like to go to, like, any yeah. ground I'd like to see. I won't say Arsenal, because that's that's obvious, and I, I've never had the pleasure of being, going to the Emirates. It, sure. I've been thwarted at every opportunity, most recently with COVID, so hopefully right. soon that'll happen. But, I mean, I would love, 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 love to attend a Seville Derby uh, at the Benito Villamarín. In yeah. Heliopolis, in Seville. That's where Real Betis, of course, play their home games. Love to visit the Borussia Park as well. Yeah. Gladbach. Um, the Westfalen Stadion, of course. Like, th- those are all pretty typical, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm sure there's some that I that I say that I would love to do. I mean, 
uh, I would love to go to the Renzo Barbera in in Palermo, Sicily, where uh, Palermo FC play. Um, they will make it back to Serie A one day, um, hopefully. Uh, but that that's a cool stadium because it reminds me a lot of El Paso, where I live, which it's a stadium that's like it shoves into the side of a mountain and like yeah. it just reminds me a lot of El Paso in that way. And it's it's a really cool like big ground for a, a third tier side because Palermo were of course once in in the top flight and are a big club in that area. But yeah, those are all kind of the ones that that came to my mind. Um, and yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to just anywhere. I would love to catch a game pretty much anywhere in Europe, even in South America as well. Yeah. Um, that's a little more intimidating to be fair. I think I'd want to go with like someone who knows what, what's going on <laughs> and stuff, right. but like, yeah, um, I would just love to, to do all of that. But, uh, what do you got, Phil? What do you think? Yeah, I think, I think as far as a European, a, a European trip that I would, that I would love to make, I would. I would love to watch a a Dinamo Dresden game in person. Um in nice. in Dresden yeah. in the uh the the Rudolf Harbig uh Stadion. Um the K block is the is like the supporters section of, of Dinamo Dresden and uh it's just insane. Like I mean, especially in their time down in the third division to have 32,000 people in a stadium in the third division, like going yeah. absolutely mad. Um, you know, it hasn't unfortunately been the the highest level of football on display for, for Dresden of, of late. But, um, but yeah, I think watching a game there would just be, would be unbelievable. Uh, and then as far as like teams kind of, you know, that I am, I guess like, I have a soft spot for um the the Gavis Stadium Atalanta um in Bergamo. Yes. It's a very like it's just a very uh intimate like setting and a very just it feels like you mentioned Calcio, like it feels very much like you could have taken you know, the stadium has been updated like in some yeah. ways, but it has it has that vibe on the inside that you're just like in the terraces and whatever, like the nineties. Um yeah. and uh yeah, yeah. and again, just like a team that has an awesome fan base and it's so connected to the city. And I think ultimately like those are the teams that you kind of gravitate towards, right? Is like those community clubs that that really uh have that connection like the you know despite the name of the club being at atalanta bc like bergamo calcio is literally like in the name of the team and um right. yeah so anyways the i think that would be one um that would really stick out to me and then and then you mentioned south america i think just the idea of of visiting one of the you know of the 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 meccas of argentina football like um yeah. the monumental or or um gosh wow boca fans are gonna roast me if i can't remember bombonera. the yeah the bombonera like any <laughs> either of those would be would be like such a privilege to to see a game at um but like you said certainly like not something you want to just like wander into i don't think um <laughs> right a lot of intensity there but um Mika, I, I wanted to 
put a little bit of our our own spin on this and say, you know, obviously we are are fans of the USL Championship Club El Paso Locomotive. Um, so in terms of like desired away trip that locomotive could conceivably take, whether it's a open cup game that, you know, happens in theory or whether it's a, a USL championship game. Are there any yeah. like stadiums in, in the American game that you would, would really want to visit? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm, I'm as gutted as you are. I think that we didn't get our U S open cup matchup with Detroit city. Um, would have been lovely to to arrange a trip to Hamtramck. I went to school in Michigan, so I it would be somewhat of like a homecoming to go see our boys on the road against, you know, a very successful club and one that's new to the league this season. Mad fans, a really like a real barn of a stadium that they play in. Yeah. Um that would have been a whole lot of fun. I I do I do have a fascination with Lynn Family Stadium, mm-hmm. Louisville's, just because it's like amazing that we yeah. have a piece of infrastructure like that in the second division of of United States soccer. Yeah, um, I think that's just awesome, and I would love to see that as well. Um, and and you know they're another really successful club um, that that appears to be really well run and really, um, yeah, just you know, everything that you, you conceivably would aspire to be if you're a USL team. So those would all be fun. Um, I've yet to go to like an away match uh, directly around us, whether that's, you know, New Mexico United or, or Phoenix, um, any of the Texas teams, I'd be open to any of them, but yeah, those two stand out to me, I think city and, and, and Louisville. I'll, I'll be, making pretty frequent trips up to <laughs> up to Detroit city <laughs> now that I'm in the area. Um, so yeah, the I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to my first visit up there because it is going to, I, you know, I think the, the atmosphere and everything, and we know the connection with the community as well is, is something that's driven that club for the last nine years. So Detroit city is certainly and Keyworth stadium. I'm, I'm just really excited to see, you know, what it's like on a match day. Um, and we actually did get a, uh, now a USL championship regular season rematch of that U S open cup match. That wasn't, um, so, so, I mean, if you get freed up in June, like that might have to be a thing. I forgot about that, that we do have a regular season matchup because yeah, that that would be a lot of fun. We probably get battered, to be honest. Like they're so intimidating. <laughs> I that... mean, we'll we'll see. Oh, as far as away fans, I don't know. Yeah, away pro- fans. I think th- I'm not sure they would be actually. Uh, you know, I don't think there'd be like violence or anything. <laughs> I think it would be. <laughs> I think it would be welcoming overall. Maybe not during the 90 minutes, but um, sure, but overall, sure. Um, the. Uh, you mentioned Lynn family stadium. That's certainly, that's certainly up there. I think the one, and this is, you know, I think watching this one on TV, it just has like a cool vibe is Al Lang, um, in Tampa. Um, now don't get me wrong. The idea of going to Tampa, Florida in the middle of like summer or something like that, where it's like 95% humidity and 95 degrees, like, I'd rather be dead. Um, yeah, but, miss me with that. Yeah, <laughs> but the <laughs> the vibe of the stadium and the way that they've transformed what was a baseball venue like into a 
soccer stadium. And I think we talked about it during the USL cup final. Like, um, they, they've turned that one stand, which was, you know, just the stands behind first, the first baseline previously into a bit of like a cop, like a, a really steep stand that has yeah, yeah, like a yeah. sort of an intimidating presence to it. So yeah, sure. I would just, I would love to see a, a game at Al Lang and, and, and obviously, you know, we have between Mike Pendleton and then a handful of others, like we have some, some, uh, internet friends who are who are rowdy supporters so it would be certainly a a a fun a fun outing but um yeah just a couple of places that like at some point you know hopefully uh hopefully able to to pay a visit to but um yeah but yeah that would be a lot of fun yeah well mika that does bring us to the end of of our agenda here and into our final little segment of of what we do with our sounds of the season playlist for so for those who don't know um we have a playlist on spotify called sounds of the season that you can find on there uh and every episode we add we each add a couple of tracks to it it's alternative music of varying types there's everything from like heavy metal to metalcore to pop punk to uh just punk like hardcore everything Everything. in between like uh, yeah oh and mika you actually uh you had a little bit of a musical outing uh this week as well with a band who you recently added to the playlist i think in the last episode yeah, 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 yeah. I went and saw a Danish band called Volbeat. Uh, they're on tour in the United States with a Swedish band called Ghost that I, I don't listen to, but they definitely have a cult following. That crowd was probably mostly there for them. Hey, um, it's literally a cult following. Like, yeah, is, isn't I think the guy in like, like makeup real, and dressed like a bishop and shit? Yeah, like they're <laughs> made up. The the like they play last because their stage takes like forever to set up and all this. <laughs> It was yeah, it was wild. But um, Volby is like one of those random bands that is not really like a genre I listen to a lot. But for some reason, like I saw them at a at a uh, festival in the Netherlands, and I was like, these guys are really good, and they put on a really good show. And so yeah, that was a lot of fun. But um, yeah, it's just nice to to go and see live music. Like there's nothing like it. The uh, so yeah, with with that. Um... We can we add to the playlist. You guys can find it on Spotify. Just search Sounds of the Season. And this is season two. So there is a season yep. one that's also on there that you can check out. Um and if you follow the pod, or follow the playlist, then it automatically updates as we add stuff and it just continues to grow as the season progresses. Yeah, for sure. What'd you what'd you get for this week? So I I was definitely in a certain mindset just in terms of what's going on um and music again i think similar to sports like i think we use music as an escape at times or as a way to express ourselves or find other people who have expressed themselves in a way that we connect with and um so anyways i i went towards my uh my kind of like anti-war uh mainstays Mm. in terms of so the first band i put on here is protest the hero who are obviously i mean protest in the name they're pretty famous uh band with some you know pretty poignant especially in their first couple albums like some pretty poignant uh political statements um but i went with sequoia throne which is is primarily just like a it's a very well 
overtly it's a violent song, but it's uh, it's obviously, you know, decrying um, those things. And it's from their second album, Fortress, which is just a fucking masterpiece from start to finish. Like instrumentally, whether or not you like, you know, metal or like, I guess it would be considered like math core or something like, like that. Progressive metal core. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just a super technical, like instrumentally impressive album where if you appreciate like guitar or drums or any really any instrument, even vocally, um, just like very a, a ton of range from their vocalists. So just something to check out if you're like into the instrumental side of music. Um and then on the other side, like I, I always, <laughs> people will get sick of this because I put currents on this, on these playlists, like all the time. Cause I just fucking love this <laughs> band. Um, but the, uh, I had already put a song called forever marked on season one. Yeah. Um, and forever marked is actually the song that I would have picked for the vibe right now, because it's a, it's very much a, like, um, just the common, like the common person being betrayed by like their leaders and kind of left out, you know, and that's a very, that's kind of the vibe right now with this whole situation. Yeah. Um, but I, I went with a song from the same EP called into despair, which sounds really dark, but it's more so about like, uh, just like being able to like work through your personal struggles and the fact that we all do struggle with this shit, especially when we're facing this like existential shit that we can't control. Um, and just being able to like fight through that stuff. So that's pretty much, uh, the vibe I ended up going for. Not, not the most upbeat sounds of the season this time around for me. (laughs) You could be forgiven for that. No, those (laughs) are good ones. Well, I've gone with, um, a band near and dear to your heart as well. Veil of Maya, a song called pool spray. I think it's like almost like a it's a it's a metalcore song, but it's like almost groovy. Like the guitar work in the song is just yeah. phenomenal. There's actually a video on YouTube of the guitarist doing a playthrough on his like custom guitar, and it's just like something about it is just very like hypnotic. Uh, I love this song. I love this album. It's so good. Another band that's like really really good live. So I just threw that on there because it's just a good song and it came up on shuffle when I was listening earlier today. But um, my other song that's more like on point, I think, uh, <laughs> is is a, a you know left turn from from metalcore more into like the punk rock and like the political rock. But I've gone with a song called Turncoat by Anti Flag, and I won't insult anyone's uh, you know intelligence on here. Just listen to the song, and I think you'll know why I've picked it. Um, <laughs> Same kind of vibes as what Phil was describing. But yeah, the, you know, that's why we started this podcast because football and music are the things that really got the two of us connected and get yeah. us through the day to day. And that's more relevant now than ever, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Um, and I think, yeah, whatever whatever your outlet is like during this time, just make sure that if you're able, if, you know, if you're like us and are privileged enough to be able to like not be in the thick of things, um, then take the opportunities to like cleanse yourself with whatever outlet, like whatever outlet you find. And definitely I find myself doing it all the time. Just like you can get caught in the cycle of just like totally doom scrolling and trying to know everything that's going on all the time. And just like give yourself the break of being able to put on some tunes and just like either, Cause you could be super frustrated with what's going on. Just like 
try to like work it out whatever you know dance around your yeah. dance around your living room fucking mosh or whatever like that's what i mean <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. you know uh that sort of stuff can can help in these in these rough times and i think uh i think when we yeah when we have the ability to um giving ourselves the the break it's it's why we like you said Mika it's why we dive into this stuff and um and well with all that being said in this like heavy end of the episode I hope everybody has enjoyed and I think I think luckily we've been able to disconnect slightly from what's going on as much as football's allowed us um and uh and talk about a bunch of different things but if you've enjoyed the episode, give us a, a follow, subscription, whatever the the platform allows, and and if you liked it, you know, leave a leave a nice review for us if you would. Um, and uh, we try to we try to be about weekly with the episodes. We we don't always hit the nail on the head, um, and and that's <laughs> for a variety of reasons. But um, but about you know every week every two weeks somewhere in there we're going to we're going to get more episodes out to you guys and continue to talk about stuff with the champions league coming back that's obviously a big uh, going to be a big talking point um and uh the domestic leagues there's quite a few storylines going on across them um and i know that me and Mika are going to be talking Serie A like a lot in the run in um yep. for this title race so if you're fans of any of that like be sure to be sure to to drop us a, a follower a subscription and uh yeah any any podcast platform of your choice really and you can find us on twitter at hxc football reminder again if you want a uh ukraine sticker all of the all the proceeds are going straight to a ukraine uh crisis relief charity um so we're not keeping any of the money so whatever you decide to donate just know that it's going to uh and you can see the link to the charity as well in the tweet about the about the stickers um so dm us for the details on payment and all that stuff and and we'll get those stickers out to you soon for those of you who have already expressed interest um but i think i think that about covers it all does indeed yeah just uh like like phil said dm us we'll get the stickers to you and thanks for listening guys hope yeah. you're all doing well in these seriously I won't say unprecedented i'll say interesting i don't know yeah running out of adjectives for like <laughs> just things happening right <laughs> take care of yourselves guys yeah yeah and uh we will see you on the next one